Greetings, this is Peter Dyke, your host of the Poly Podcast. You know, this is our inaugural podcast, and we're just so excited to bring this to you. Uh, It was suggested a few months ago that we do this, and uh, not until COVID did we really have time to uh, spend on it. But we did some research, some background work, and we found out there might be some interest and some enthusiasm for people not only to listen, but also for people to be interviewed in this program. We do understand that people learn differently, so we we think, it. gosh, if we could just hit 20% of our members with this podcast program, that would be a success. We'll be coming to you two times each month, so it won't be that difficult to keep up with us. At least we don't think so. Uh, we're very interested in your feedback, so let us know how we're doing. You know, if you listen to us for the next couple of years, you're going you're gonna to catch up on 30 or 40 people, uh, a whole bunch of products. Uh, you're going to learn stuff you never thought uh, existed in the alliance, in the uh, uh, polyethylene industry. So just think about that. What an exciting way to learn while you're working out or driving. So our goal uh, is not uh, to help your married life, to help you lose weight. No, our goal is to make your work life better. The more you know, the better you're going to be at your job. We firmly believe that. That's why we started doing Showcase three years ago. We believe that you'll be better at your job with the more details, the more standards, the, uh, the more background on the reasons we do the things we do in this industry. It's just going to make you uh, better at what you do, and you're going to have more fun doing it. So uh, thank you for joining us on this journey. And who knew that people would listen to our podcast? Who knew that we'd have a sponsor for our initial podcast? And that's the folks at Strongbridge. Uh, we've got Dustin Cote on the line to talk to. And uh, let's talk to Dustin Cote. Welcome, Dustin. Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me today. Well, we thank you. You know, Strongbridge International has been a friend of the Alliance for many years, Dustin. And uh, we thank you for that. Tell us a little bit about Strongbridge International and uh, what separates you uh, in the marketplace. Uh, Well, first, Peter, I'd just like to say thanks again for having me on. Um, We really appreciate all the good work that the Alliance does to uh, get the word out about the polyethylene uh, piping system world. Um, We're a big supporter of the Alliance and the education that it brings to um, a a very wide um, berth of people out there that are maybe newer to the polyethylene world. So we, we really feel proud and, and uh, have a lot of uh, confidence in the Alliance for spreading that word and doing a great job at doing that. Um, Strombridge International, we're a manufacturer of polyethylene pipe fittings. Um, that ranges from electrofusion fittings to molded fittings and also uh, polyethylene ball valves. Uh, we also have a full lineup of tooling that's used um, with the installation of electrofusion fittings. And we've been around since 2006 in North America, and we um, operate um, in Canada, U.S., and Mexico. Uh, we're kind of known for having um, one of the largest product shelves available of product size and pressure class range of polyethylene fittings. And how do you reach the market? You, you sell through distribution, right? Yeah, we deal with all the major distributors in the polyethylene piping system world uh, in Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. 
Um, we offer our products through them on a preferred distribution model. Um, so they're familiar with our products, familiar with um, the technical aspects of the products, and uh, many of them do stock in local locations around North America as well. Well, that's great stuff, Dustin. You know, once again, thanks for sponsoring uh, this podcast program. Uh, we're very excited about it. You know, you talked about what what we do bring to the market, and that's education. And we know that people learn in different ways. So we're excited to bring the podcast medium to the to the industry and the specifiers, uh, so that everyone's knowledge base increases. So we look forward to seeing you on the next podcast. And uh, once again, thanks to Strongbridge International. Thank you, Peter. What a great guy he is, and I encourage you, if you ever travel to Jacksonville and you want to check out uh, Strongbridge there locally, they have a fantastic uh, warehouse there with uh, millions of dollars in inventory. It's just so impressive to see those guys and, and what they do. Um, and I briefly mentioned uh, Showcase earlier. Uh, you know, we haven't decided uh, whether or not we're going to host Showcase. Um, we think it'll be in Dallas, but if things stay rough in Texas, maybe not. Um, but we're probably going to wait two more months to make a firm decision because uh, we really want to do it. Several people have said, hey, the networking opportunities are, are fantastic. You know, the education's good, but networking's even better. Um, so stay tuned on Showcase. There are still a few of you out there that are not following us on social media. How do I know this? Because we don't have everybody in the industry. Uh, so we're on Twitter, Facebook. LinkedIn, and yes, last year we added Instagram. We're posting every day. That's seven days a week unless we mess up. Uh, excited about this platform. Uh, we are reaching thousands of people every day. Uh, think about that. Whoever thought that that would be available to us um, years and years ago? But, well, it is, and we're very excited about it. And send us content. We will post your stuff. Several people have said, so, Dyke, how are you going to do – how do you have – Time to do this. Why do you want to do this? Well, we know that you all learn differently. Podcasts can be a great medium. Uh, so who are you going to interview? We're going to interview leaders in industry. We're going to interview advocates. We're going to interview civil engineers, the engineers with the resin companies, the engineers with the pipe guys. Um, we're going to interview all of them. They're all fair game. We're going to talk about everything related to polyethylene that we can, the fittings, the pipe, the equipment, the installation methods, the people in the industry, why they make the decision to do what they did. We're going to talk to them. Uh, just think about it. At the end of those two years, you're going to be that much more of an expert. Also, our shows are going to vary in length. We're going to let them run as long as they need to run. Thank you to Drew Mueller, who's behind the scenes doing the editing for us. Um, but we want these interviews to run we're not just going to get it done in 20 minutes. Some of them are going to be quick interviews. Some of them are going to be a little longer. If you haven't chosen to, to uh, pick up one of the webinars that we're doing, uh, check it out. Go on our website. See who's coming up next. Uh, so this is being released on July 8th. Next week, we have a great show called Demo Day. Uh, we're excited to bring you eight different demonstrations across 90 minutes. Sign up on our website. And at the end, please take the time to send us an email, give us ideas, give us a critique or two, uh, and help us do a better job of bringing really great content to you. So let's get to know Richard Colossa and learn from him. 
Thank you so much for tuning in. So with me tonight is uh, Alan Ambler and Richard Colossa. Richard's our guest. Alan uh, is sitting in the lieutenant's seat behind the controls. Welcome, Alan. Hi, Peter. Thank you very much. Where are you coming to us from tonight? Coming from Lake Mary, Florida. It's about 30 minutes north of Orlando. So is we first met Alan in Castleberry. Is it far from Castleberry? No, it's only about 20 minutes from Castleberry, Florida. All right. That's where you cut your teeth on polyethylene. Is that right? That's correct. I was the um, utility manager at the city of Castleberry for uh, 10 years. Um, and we, we installed 42 miles of high-density polyethylene via pipe bursting to replace AC pipe. Heck of a product. I was very, very impressed with it. Yeah, so <clears throat> I guess you uh, experimented with other plastic products without much success. Uh, but you and I first, first met, uh, and we were doing a bunch of McElroy training, on uh, fusion training, and then we did a road show. Tell us about that. It was a great opportunity. Um, I always like to see what the industry provides as far as education and support, and I wanted to test the alliance in particular. So um, we we uh, arranged, I worked with you, Peter, to be able to get our internal in-house crews trained both in how to fuse polyethylene pipe and then also how to perform pipe bursting. The fusion training started on a Wednesday. Pipe bursting training started on a Monday with a 240-foot pull. And then we did another 240 foot pull in front of 70 people on a Thursday during a uh, Alliance for PE pipe roadshow. So within a week, we were able to train our own in-house crews how to fuse polyethylene, pull in pipe bursting runs and successfully demonstrate it in front of 70 people. I think it was an astonishing success, Peter. You did great. Well, thanks. You know, uh, we learned a lot too, Alan. Um, you know, we took a lot of what we learned and demonstrating this stuff in front of crowds of people. I mean, I think we probably had 90 people at your place that day. Um, and, you know, the the power of an actual demo, um, you know, actually pulling in pipe and fracturing AC pipe uh, in situ like that was, was really extraordinary. And we've used that video for years since. Um, and as a result of our success there, Alan, you know, we now, you know, we're filming, you know, probably 15, 20 times a year as a result. And Nothing really works like video. That's right. A picture is worth a thousand words. A video is worth a million. Yeah. So uh, anyway, thanks for being with us here today, Alan. Uh, uh, Richard Colasso, welcome. Hey, glad to be here, Peter. So uh, Richard, you work for WO Plastics. You're a, a member of the PE Alliance. And, you know, honestly, Richard, you and I have worked together for years. Uh, and you've been the most prolific uh, engineer speaking to civil engineers at our uh, events. You've probably spoken at 120 of them uh, over the last eight years. Is that right? Yeah, there's been a few of them. Lots of people. I think uh, on average, I think we we're doing eight to 10,000 uh, people a year. Um, but the education aspect uh, really needs to be put out there. And, and I and I really believe the Alliance has done a great job in, in addressing that that true need in our industry. Well, you, you've been parcel to that, and, and uh, you know, I commend you as well as your colleagues at WL for supporting us. Um, you know, not only do you support us with your dues, but you deploy staff out on the road with us, you know, pre-COVID. Uh, who, who, who knows what it's going to be like here? Uh, so we're, we're taping this in June of 2020, um, and, you know, who, who knows what it's going to look like in June of 2021? 
What's it doing up there in Calgary? Well, Calgary, it's uh, typical spring weather. We have, uh, you know, tennis ball size hail uh, a couple of days ago, the devastated part of the city. Um, rain, sunshine, wait 20 minutes, and you never know what you get with Calgary. So it's, uh, it's, it's springtime. Everything's nice and green, uh, nice and lush because of all the moisture. Uh, the Bow River, as a fly fisherman that I am, it's, it's, it's blowing and going right now, so we can't wait to get back on the water to get some of them world-class trout as well. So are those brown trout, Richard? Yeah, there's browns, rainbows, and uh, some beautiful Rocky Mountain whitefish that uh, inhabit that river. And again, it's considered a world-class uh, fishing stream. So uh, anybody that wants to come up, I'm more than happy to take them out. I just need an excuse. So Richard, what, you know, if you went out on a, you know, a good hatch day, What's what's the size of a brown trout that you might catch? Are you catching 20 inches with frequency? Yeah, 20 inches are pretty common. Um, uh, we saw this spring we already saw some 28s and some 30s, uh, so it's been it's been really healthy. Uh, but there's also the small ones. I mean, a healthy system is a healthy system, right? Uh, if you have little little babies, then you know things are flourishing and and it works out in our favor. So we're excited about that. Wow, that's fantastic. So Calgary, let me let me understand the geography a little bit. You know, I've heard a lot about Banff and Banff Springs Hotel and the National Park. And, you know, I understand you have a an expressway that's got animal only bridges. Tell how far are you away from all of that? Yeah, we're about an hour and a half uh, straight east there. Uh, we're kind of in the bottom of the foothills where Calgary's situated. And then, you know, you go the further you go west, the flatter it gets. It just turns into a, a true plain. Uh, but yeah, it's an hour and a half away, and then you get into the the Rocky Mountains, which are very uh, big in stature and very uh, heavy in wilderness. And so, through this COVID thing, they're finding in Banff the animals all took over the town again. So the wolves were coming in to get the to get the elk, and the sheep were coming in, and etc. So it was like it, they got their home back. Um, so uh, you're in Calgary, um, and, and that's Alberta. So do, have you always been in Alberta, Richard? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a born and raised Albertan. So I was born in Red Deer, Alberta, just uh, about an hour north of Calgary. Uh, that was my hometown. Uh, tried to venture out a couple of times, but I uh, was unsuccessful, uh, but ended up in Calgary. Uh, had my education up in Edmonton, which is an hour north of Red Deer and three hours north of uh, Calgary. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's, been a, it's been my hometown and it's you know, a lot of my friends are here and family. And it's kind of hard to break away from it when you have just about everything a person wants, especially for my lifestyle. You know, you got your lakes, you got your rivers, you got your prairies, you got your forest, you got your mountains, you got your snow, and you have all four seasons, and it's quite a beautiful place. Uh, tell me about your winter interests. Uh, winter interests, well, uh, <laughs> they're pretty diverse too. Uh, there's also hard water fishing, so that's ice fishing for all that you don't know what hard water is. It's when the lakes freeze over and we consider it hard water. So we drive our vehicles out on the ice with a little bit of tentativeness, uh, but uh, it's always uh, very strong. And, and because of the cold temperatures, we ice fish. I also snowmobile. Uh, love to get up into the mountains and the upper bowls and into the trees where, uh, of course, today's technology in snowmobiles is uh, quite phenomenal. And uh, we really truly enjoy it. It's, it's, you know, you can have a great day out there, have a nice winter fire. Uh, cook some hot dogs and then head back home when you're done and it's fantastic. Ski a little bit, snowshoe a little bit. So, you know, we have to learn how to enjoy the weather that's given us. 
Yeah, I'm with you there. So uh, speaking of, uh, you know, you're, you say you're an Albertan. I guess you played a little hockey too, probably? <laughs> yeah, played lots of hockey. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't played hockey. I didn't mention it because I haven't played hockey in about five years now. As you get older, uh, the younger guys, you become kind of orange in color and kind of pylon shape. So it makes it kind of difficult to play. Uh, we have uh, we have leagues that have the older guys, but uh, it's just something I, I'm, you know, just don't have the time for now because I'm so so committed to the alliance and the and everything in the education that it, it just takes a lot. It's hard to commit to it through the winter winter season as well. So I, I played intramural ice hockey in college and then a little bit after, you know, and we played we played a no slap shot league. You know, in my 20s, Richard, and that basically meant you're not allowed to pick up the stick above your knee. But, you know, very few guys follow that rule. So, you know, I didn't last long, right? Because, you know, I was, you know, third string defense. Um, what does ice hockey look like as an adult male in Calgary? Well, it's very, very popular. I mean, it's it's probably a, uh, just like having breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's probably everybody's staple in in that sport. I mean, a lot of people play it. Uh, a lot of people still love it. Um, I mean, my I have a friend's dad. He's 88 years old, and he's still playing hockey. Uh, and he hates it when he doesn't play. So it, it gets ingrained in you. And, um, and you know, there's fighting and there's all that stuff that people interpret hockey as being quite violent, but it's the adrenaline rushes because it really does you, get you're the kidding blood me. flowing. They fight in in club hot or oh, know, what do you call it? What do you call it in Canada? Yeah, it's intramural or it's it's media league or whatever the case may be. And can you, you know, fight? Oh yeah, yeah. There's uh, yeah. You get penalties, of course, but <laughs> you have to. If you don't burn off that frustration, then you end up in the penalty box hacking people down, anyways. I mean, you have this little hockey stick that's a nice little weapon. So, uh, you know, it's a uh, people don't realize how effective that thing can be. But you know what? Uh, for the most part, it's a it is a gentleman's sport. Uh, people respect it, and they respect the play. Very cool. Well, <clears throat> Calgary's a wonderful spot, Richard. You're a lucky guy. And, and uh, for those of us that love the, the winter, uh, I can't think of a cooler place. Um, so I look forward to coming up there and joining you for a little fishing. Um, you also have uh, a lovely wife and a couple daughters. Yes, I do. Uh, my wife of uh, 34 years. Uh, we've been married. We have two daughters, uh, 130, 127. Uh, one just recently married. She had a COVID uh, wedding at the house here, so it was a little different. Drive-by salutations, which uh, turned out quite nice. Uh, first dance was on the street. Uh, we were supposed to have it in Mexico, but um, you know that kind of went kibosh when the airline shut down. So, and then I've got another one being uh, getting ready to get married next year of August. So uh, she's a teacher in um, in Kamloops, BC. She's not in Alberta. She's moved away and found. Uh, uh, a better half, uh, I guess it's a better half. I don't know how you call it, but um, found a found a fiance that uh, works in the lumber industry, and he he's done very very well. He's got his master's in business and and done very well in education, and and really really is an amazing guy. So we're really happy to have him on board as well as as Chris as well, who's uh, uh, works in the insurance industry. My oldest daughter is in human resources, if you can believe it. Uh, she's uh, got an amazing personality that can get along with people and uh, 
to be honest, she she hates humans, so uh, I think she fits right in perfectly. Yeah, into HR. Into HR. Yeah, <laughs> she loves them. She's respectful, and you know, it's it's and especially now, it's been really uh, a roller coaster ride for her. Like because she had to lay off people, had to hire people back because government grants allowing them to uh, bring people back keep the economy going and stuff like that. So yeah, she's done a great, great job. Very proud of my children, very proud of my wife, and especially putting up with someone like me that's you know, hardly ever home because I'm fo so focused on what I have to do as well. So you mentioned uh, when we were together last, uh, you worked for Nova Chemical. Uh, you know, today you're with WL Plastics. Uh, tell, us, you know, tell us about Nova Chemical and the manufacture of resin and how that all plays into the making of this wonderful pipe. Yeah, well, I'd like to start throwing a shout out to my dad. Uh, he passed uh, about nine years ago and he said, uh, Richard, what do you want to do with your life? And then, and he said, uh, well, dad, I said, you know, I'd really love to build bridges. And I said, why do you want to build bridges? I said, well, because, you know, what do you build bridges over? You build them over water. And so in the in the days I can work on the bridge and in the night I can go fishing. So that was kind of the concept. But at the time, at the time, the uh, there wasn't any civil jobs really available. The economy was in a downturn. And he said, he asked me, he says, well, what about plastics? I said, you know, what about, what about chemical engineering? And what about plastics? And I said, well, that might be interesting. <coughs> so I took my education in, in that, uh, got hired on with Nova, Nova Chemicals uh, out of university. And, and then uh, it was really, really great because it was a great company to work for because they produced the polyethylene. So they took they took the raw materials and made the polyethylene. And not just the polyethylene for the pipe, they made it for the bags, the bottles, the rotational moldies, the kayaks, the canoes, the car parts, whatever you wanted to do. So it was uh, it was really exciting and it, and it was fairly fairly new. I mean, you know, when you talk about 30, 38 years ago, it was fairly new and the plastics were coming on stream fairly heavily. So uh, my experiences with them were, were fantastic, had lots of different leadership opportunities, had lots of different plant opportunities where we got to see the process to produce the polyethylene. Uh, that was exciting. Uh, so everything was new. So you were learning every day, working with scientists that had brains uh, that were larger than life because it was amazing how they could take a, uh, you know, a couple of molecules of carbon and hydrogen and turn them into something that is a final product. Uh, it was quite, quite amazing. Um, and then after 20 years, you know, I got hounded by WL Plastics to come and work for them, help them build their first plant and train their people there. Uh, and just really, really uh, found that it was a interesting aspect of, of the business being on the manufacturing side. Um, so helped out there and lo and behold, 20 years later, I, I started with WL and I've been with WL for now, geez, almost, almost uh, 17 years. Wow, congratulations. Don't give me the long version, but give me the short version on how they, you know, what what would a, a Nova Chemical or a Lyondell or a Dow, how do they, what do they get from the oil patch and how do they turn it into polyethylene? Yeah, that's a great question, Peter. Um, uh, how uh, polyethylene is converted, and the and the one thing that's you know I know plastics, some of the uh, you know single-use plastics are getting a bad rap, or not even a bad rap, or being recognized as, as an issue. But um, let me give you some background on that. So when oil is refined, uh, it's it's refined into the various products that we use today: gasoline, diesel, uh, propane, methane, all the different aspects of uh, petrochemicals. And we use those. 
but the byproduct, which is ethane, <laughs> uh, is the is the waste product of the of the materials being being refined. And in the past, those were really literally burnt off, and so they were put into atmosphere, of course, creating quite a large carbon footprint. Uh, so someone came up, and it was Ziegler Natta came up with an idea that he could make polyethylene back in the early uh, 1930s and 1940s, and discovered that we can convert that ethylene into a into a plastic uh, by putting the chains together, and that's really the basis for what we where we're at today. Uh, you know, you think of your car parts, you think of, you, you make them lighter, you look at your 1938 Cadillac versus your uh, uh, 2020 Cadillac, there's there's two totally different machines, um, much more efficient, burn less fuel and everything. So the contributions are very, very good uh, when we talk about converting uh, hydrocarbons into polymers or into plastics. And that's really it in a nutshell. I mean, it's such a benefit to society. Um, you know, and we have to really think about, well, what is the problem with single-use plastics? Well, you know what? It's not the problem of the plastics. It's how we manage them as humans. You know, don't litter. You know, stop littering. Manage them properly. We have all those things in place to look after that stuff. The exciting thing about that single-use plastic question, Richard, is, you know, you take a look at what the ocean cleanup folks are doing. You know, boy and slat. I mean, the kid, you must be 23. He's one of the most brilliant. You know, he's Elon Musk brilliant, if you ask me. So he's yeah. he's taking that single-use plastic and harvesting it in the ocean, but he's also taking another step is he's building machinery that basically is functioning as a waste management organization, and he's sticking his machines in the the head the mouths of the rivers, eating up all this single-use plastic that these countries they don't have a waste management system, so everybody just throws their trash in the river. Yeah, that's right. And it's easy to throw it out the window. I don't know why we do that. But now I've heard also of developments of turning that plastic into energy that they have, they're going to use solvents to dissolve it. And when you dissolve it, it generates heat and you generate that heat and then you can put it into its individual solvents and you can actually put it back into refinement. And it's just beautiful ideas like that. There we, you know, as humans, we're very, very intelligent and we shouldn't criticize things that we've done wrong, but you know what? We actually learn from them. Sorry, so you, you know, you mentioned Richard, this issue of um, harvesting the, the methane at the wellhead or is it ethane? Yeah, no, it's ethane. Methane so comes they harvest from the, the ethane. They used yeah. to just burn it off. Now yeah. they capture it in polyethylene pipe, transport it to Lyondell or CPCAM or Sasol, and then they crack it and turn it into these polyethylene pellets. How sick is that? It used to yeah, be part that, of the carbon problem, the carbon footprint problem. Now we're creating, you know, a several hundred year pipe product out of this, these pellets. It's remarkable. Yeah. It really, really is. And one of the things I learned, you know, and, and this, you know, we became very sensitive to this as uh, engineers at Nova Chemicals because we incorporated what was called uh, responsible care. And this responsible care program was worldwide and all the resin manufacturers were involved in this because we didn't want to create problems. But as soon as those problems are identified, it's like we're criticized for it. And, and, it's, and it's really not. And, People need to understand that this is completely 100% controllable. And not only controllable from a standpoint that we're managing our waste, but we're turning our waste into something that is useful. 
and makes our lives a lot easier. You know, one of the things that the Alliance we're doing right now, Richard, is we're researching, um, you know, sustainable initiatives to try to figure out really where we are. You know, the ductile people, ductile iron people say, oh, we have the most sustainable product because we use basically cars that were thrown in the dump as our feedstock for creating this ductile iron. They call it ductile, but it's not really ductile. It doesn't bend. I mean, it bent more than cast, I guess, but compared to us where we measure our ability to deflect in feet, they measure it in millimeters at the bell and the spigot. Think about that. Yeah. Well, again, you know, I'm not going to criticize them either, Peter, because they are turning something that we really have a weight, a high volume of waste of. I mean, uh, and and they're turning into something useful, but um, there's aspects of of the ductile iron that we have to understand, and it's corrosion. Um, you know what? When we think about polyethylene and the and the plastics and any plastics, I guess we're talking about longevity now, and it's it's really moving out of a cycle that we've discovered over time, and that and that is like a 50-year service life on a sewer line or a 50-year service life on a ductile iron line. Well, we're now in that phase of where everything has come to its useful design life. It's not that it was bad, it's just come to its end, end of design life. And it's created a catastrophic uh, expense to taxpayers and everybody that utilizes utilities, such as toilets and sinks and showers and everything else, and, and they're leaking, and they're leaking severely. And the amount of dollars that the um, American Society of Civil Engineers has put together, it, you know, the report card is awful. And, and yeah, okay, it's awful, but what are we doing to make it better? And this is the thing. If we now can extend that lifetime from 50 years to greater than 100 years, then aren't we looking after the next generations of people in our society? That's what we're doing. We're making yeah. a better lifestyle for the future. And it's so exciting. And the European nations have done this, um, where they have infrastructures that are 800 to 1,000 to 1,200 years old, and they're replacing it without destroying them because these products allow them to do that. So I, I like the way uh, you characterize the ductile iron folks, Richard. Um, you know, one of the slides that we show in our history of pipe um, presentation is the evolution of pipe over time. You know, we start with trenches. Uh, then the Romans developed lead pipes um, and their waste stream. So they put their commode over, you know, an open space and that would lead to a lead pipe. And then we went from lead pipes um, to clay pipes and wood pipes. And in the U.S., we kind of went wood to cast, right? From cast to ductile, we traded one failure mechanism for another. And you know what? The ductile iron folks... They really are. They're using a, a, a recycled resource, but they are using a whole lot of energy to make that conversion, Richard. Um, and that's one of the things that we're researching is, you know, how many therms does it take to make a mile of polyethylene pipe and ductile and PVC? It's, it's really kind of an interesting question that we're working on, and it's really very exciting. But, but taken in context, Richard, you know, going back to the Roman times, the lead pipe, the cast iron pipe that was made in France and then imported by Boston and Philadelphia, to the, the emergence of ductile iron in the 60s, 
ductile was commercialized at the same time PVC and polyethylene was. And interesting, Richard, I've heard you talk about this before. You know, the ductile folks were replacing water and wastewater, the cast iron lines, and then PVC went after water and wastewater because it was a balanced bigot system. What the polyethylene folks do? How come they don't have the dominant share in water today? Why are we the minority player? Well, that 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 yeah, that was a big that was a big boo boo on our part because we didn't stay current with the water and wastewater uh, uh, municipalities. Uh, we went into the gas. Uh, we went into the gas. We went into the high liability aspect. So um, here we are transporting the gas because the gas industry and the oil industry what seemed to run economies in a lot of cases, especially up in Calgary and Alberta. Alberta, like Texas, uh, is is very oil rich. And so we attacked the gas guys and we said, well, geez, you know, if we don't have any leaks and we don't have any problems and corrosion issues and ground movement issues and, and we're a monolithic system, um, we don't have leaks and we don't have the potential for explosion and killing people. And that was really the key aspect to that. And so we attacked it and we went all over it. So we own that industry, gas gathering, uh, municipal gas distribution now, uh, is really an area where high liabilities exist. We're connecting could gas you, lines. Can you explain that to me before you go on? What's the difference between gas gathering and natural gas distribution? Those okay. are phrases. I mean, what do they mean? Yeah, they're, okay. So uh, gas gathering is from the oil heads. So if they drill, let's say, uh, 30 wells up in the mountain areas of Calgary, Alberta, they have to bring all that gas to a single location or pres uh, or a, uh, uh, a compression station so they can get it into a main pipeline to get it back to the refineries. So instead of trying to lay down pipe, uh, you know, the uh, balance picket wise or welding it together, they can just lay these great big strings down from the wellhead to the to the um, uh, pump stations and gather it. So if you can think of it as a spider web where your well is right in the middle uh, and then you have uh, every connection of the wellhead or sorry the spider uh, web is another well as well you can connect all those to meet to the center and so that's gas gathering okay uh, and it's inexpensive it's very, very effective. It doesn't corrode. It, it withstands any kind of ground movement, has high impact strengths, uh, and it gets that gas to those compression stations. So that's gas. So they, only use, they only use polyethylene or they use steel? What do they use? No, they don't use poly, or they don't use steel anymore because if you compare the pounds per foot per, I mean, oil companies are not stupid either. They, they, they know the, the value of money. And so it's the cost factor. If you try to put weld together, get a welder out there to put together three-inch uh, steel lines, you know that are are, are hundreds of miles. I mean, it's going to be very, very expensive. Uh, so what they do is they just run the polyethylene because it's a lot simpler and less expensive to do that. Uh, all your municipal gas, I mean, all your, and that's where we kind of made a little bit of a a, a bad assumption. Um, you know, we assume that, you know, if we're working with a gas utility in the city of Calgary or the city of Houston or the city of wherever, uh, we figured that the gas guys would be talking to the water guys and, and they would say, well, hey, you know, we're not having any problems with the municipal gas distribution system. So with the high liability, so why don't you use it? Uh, no, that was a big mistake um, because they don't talk at all. Okay. So gas gathering is we're, we're gathering it at the wellhead used to be flared off, now we capture it, now we turn it into useful household products like 
saran wrap and Tupperware. And, and so what we're talking about is pipe. So using that same polyethylene for pipe. So tell us about natural gas distribution and how, how we captured that market. I mean, Richard, 99% of all the pipe going in today is either medium or high density polyethylene. Yeah, that's correct. Um, so um, what, what, where the initiatives came from or were from the resin companies about 30, 30 to 35 years ago, and we had this product and we discovered this product. And it was a medium density gas pipe that had great uh, uh, slow crack growth resistance and it was flexible and it was perfect for the application because it fused well and it was monolithic. So we sold it. We put all our efforts into uh, hitting the, the gas companies that were associated with every state province uh, in North America, really, and got them to accept it and understand it. And there was a whole bunch of aspects of this that we, we learned from. One was their companies themselves, such as the Natco Gas in Calgary, uh, trained all their people to work with medium density or high density polyethylene for, for gas uh, municipal distribution. And so this municipal distribution was critical. So they became independent and how they worked with this product. And they found that they worked with it and installed it properly and they had control of it and they were well-trained and they well under, and they really understood the product, then they know it would work. Didn't leak, didn't create explosions, didn't create any problems for them. So no problems for a gas company is a really good thing. So the natural gas folks said, hey, we need a product to replace all these steel and cast iron lines because the cast iron lines are failing and they're killing people every year. So we're going to go with gas. And that was in the 60s. Mm -hmm. so at the same time, ductile iron was replacing cast iron and PVC was presenting the low cost option to a metal pipe. You know, in many cases, a third the cost, right? So we were focusing on gas because we were saving lives. We weren't focusing on, on water. So I'm often asked, Richard and Alan, I'd love to hear from you on this one. You know, why is it the the civil engineers, um, you know, who really weren't taught pipeline conveyance in their in their undergraduate programs? I'm I've learned over the years. Why why is it it's taking so long? You know, we only have a 10% share of this 12 billion dollar business. Why is it taking so long to convince these engineers that are really smart folks? that polyethylene is the answer to tuberculation, failure at the joint, ground movement. Alan, let's hear from you. In many of the, the municipalities, uh, some of that history of using a certain product type carries through. Um, they think in many instances, if it, do, if it, did, if it does work, don't change it. Um, but that's simply not true when we look at the statistics involving water main breaks, leaks, and other things of that nature. Um, in particular, the, the Alliance has done a lot of that studying to look at water main uh, breaks, water loss, uh, and then also cycle times to, to rehabilitate that pipe. Um, often municipalities are not run as businesses. So those municipalities aren't necessarily looking at the bottom line cost of continuously repairing or rehabilitating the same section of pipe. They just have a crew, series of crews that goes out and they, they do that job in particular and, and they're, they're not really looking at the, 
overall cost to to maintain that facility. So a lot of utilities are now waking up. It takes a little while to to make that happen. Um, and we've been using that infrastructure uh, to its fullest extent. Something uh, Richard had said earlier um, was that a lot of that cast and ductile iron is at the end of its service life. So we really are at a time period as to we really need to think moving forward how to install the best uh, pipe material that'll last the longest. And then also the installation methods have advanced too. Trenchless technologies are just amazing with what they can yeah. they can do to reduce costs, both environmental, social, and economic. So um, they're starting to wake up, but a lot of times uh, some of the engineers of the old old regime were a little bit set in their ways. But oftentimes, you know, when you look at the psychology of change, you know, something bad has to happen in order to get people to change. Either they have to run out of money, uh, Flint has to happen to them, or they have a massive, you know, Fort Lauderdale problem. I mean, look at Fort Lauderdale right now. Thank goodness they came to a couple of our road shows back in the day. And, you know, some of their staff knew about polyethylene. They've been dumping millions of gallons of sewage in the waterways in and around Fort Lauderdale. And who's saving the day for them? The polyethylene industry. Um, so, you know, this is a this is a huge issue. But Alan, you, you said something which I find fascinating, and that is a lot of these municipalities are not run as businesses. So I remember when I was going through graduate school, you know, GM was still the dominant auto company. And here come the Japanese making great cars. <laughs> GM was trying to deal with their unions and their constituencies and strikes and all of a sudden you know you got to go buy a car you don't buy a friday car you know how many people raise your hand you know what a friday car is you know friday cars a car that was built on a friday and you sure as heck don't want to buy it because you know they had they had the guys that weren't that experienced because everybody called in sick i mean you think i'm making this stuff up so the japanese came in and stole share but that was business right the municipal the municipal operations the utilities in the united states these are not businesses they don't operate within the same constraints that businesses do. So the market can't tell them, hey, we don't like what you're doing, right? So these, to Alan, you brought up, you know, manage to fail, the whole cycle time, water loss, and number of breaks per year issue. No one is evaluating municipalities on how many breaks they have every year, how much water are they losing every year, and what is their city's cycle time? Richard, I see you chomping at the bit. Talk to yeah. us about why civil engineers aren't paying more attention to our product. Well, you know, in all fairness, with all the people that, all the engineers that I've faced over the years with you, Peter, you know, one of the key learnings for me is, you know, they know what they know, um, you know, and I'm just wondering, you know, about our education institutions where, you know, they need to also catch up in, in, in understanding polymers and understanding what is available out there because they are familiar with some products, but they're not familiar with others. And when they close that book, um, it, it, it just doesn't allow them to learn about uh, this product. And, and, you know, when you talk about something that is ductile or has a viscoelastic property, well, they, they just, they just, they're, you know, you're just like deer in the headlights in a lot of cases. And they go, well, what is that? Well, it's soft. Well, it can't be soft because it's got to withstand road road uh, uh, loadings and all kinds of things like this. I said, yeah, it does. People that don't want to learn, um, 
I kind of feel sorry for them because, you know, I was told when I went to school, always learn something. Take a day and learn, you know, if a day, it's not a good day if you don't learn at least one thing. And if you learn one thing every day, that means you're learning 365 different things every year. And so think about how smart you'll be when, I, when you're at my age at 58. <laughs> so one of the things you just said is, um, you know, this product has made my job worry-free. That's a quote from Romel Antonio in Palo Alto, California. And, um, you know, he actually said that on camera and, you know, he wasn't employed by the Alliance. Um, and tell us why polyethylene has made his job worry-free. Yeah, I mean, he's out of California. He's in Palo Alto, California. Of course, the ground movement is a huge issue in California. Who knows when they're gonna get the next mud mudslide or um, uh, fire. Uh, you know, I hope it doesn't happen, but, uh, but it may, his job is worry-free because he's, it's a monolithic system that he's putting together. He has no infiltration or exfiltration, so the joints don't separate through ground movement. Um, so he's getting all the water that he puts back into the sewer system back to his treatment systems, but he's also got his supply systems that are very clean. Even root uh, impediment is not there. He mentioned to me when we were there, you know, we have lots of trees here and they, because we have such beautiful weather, they grow all the time. They got a, you know, a 365 uh, day growing cycle. And so that means the roots are going into where the water sources are. And so he doesn't have that issue. And so he doesn't have repair issues. He's, his maintenance costs are dropping down. He doesn't corrode, he doesn't tuberculate, and he's leak free. And you know what? That means a, a pound in is a pound out or a gallon in is a gallon out. And you know what? Chances are if he re rehabilitates his sewer system, he should be getting that gallon back too. Yeah, good point. So um, let's talk a little bit about civil engineering, Richard. You know. Um, we spend a lot of time talking to civil engineers. Um, we talked about ductile iron a few minutes ago, um, but one of the things I've heard you say before is that polyethylene doesn't suffer from fatigue like PVC does. Fatigue is the failure mechanism um, for polyvinyl chloride pipe. And uh, so it keeps getting hit with those cycles, you know, it wears out over time. But, you know, I've heard you say polyethylene doesn't suffer from fatigue. What does that mean and how do you know? Okay, so what that means, it can be a couple of different events. One, the major one in a, in a utility operation, which um, I think Alan can um, uh, support me on this, is that we have surge events. So we have pump on, pump off, so it creates water hammer within these systems and these, these systems have to handle the water hammer. And this water hammer is like, uh, a very catastrophic event which affects the velocity of the flow uh, of the fluids inside that pipeline. And then when you take a corner or you, you have an up and down or you have a pressure event that it, if you're at 200 PSI, it could create a 400 PSI event, uh, depending on the severity of it. And so your pipe system has to be able to handle that. And for rigid products such as PVC, um, they have a little bit diff more difficult time because they actually exaggerate that, that energy that's being generated by surge. So if you have a surge event that goes through, whereas polyethylene, because it's viscoelastic, act actually absorbs that energy and it disperses it and it basically uh, depletes that energy that, that happens in that system. 
It's not that it doesn't happen. It's just that it, it has the ability to disperse it, whereas the rigid products do not. If you hit a corner or you hit an elbow or you hit a uh, that water hammer hits a valve or that valve slam shut, you're going to get a, a very catastrophic event that's occurring. And so that's the difference between a rigid and a ductile product. The other one that is a, an event like that is you can have rock impediments. You can have, uh, let's say, when you bury the pipe, uh, uh, you know, you can't see all the dirt that's being put back into the system. Hopefully, it's to the specifications of design and what we recommend for buried pipe and in, in within a trench. But let's say a rock gets in there and it leans against that pipe. Well, that's a stress riser. And that stress riser will have a stress intensity on that on that pipe. And so if you have a stress intensity on a, a rigid product and you have a surge event, that's going to multiply that energy uh, by two, three, four uh, uh, times what that really event should be. And so it causes catastrophic failures. And this is what happens. And, and this is what can happen. And whereas polyethylene, it does not have, it does not have the um, same effect because that stress event is actually relieved just like the surge events are actually relieved over time. What is a typical scenario where a consulting civil uh, inspector or a staff inspector for municipality might see an overpressurization failure? Yeah, well, what's happening, and again, Alan, you can pipe in on this at, at any time, The what's happened to be efficient in the, using trenchless technologies, for example, uh, trenchless technologies are being used because the time and the cost savings that you have with uh, pipeline installations, whether it be sewer or pressure systems, uh, but the pipe, the pipe strings are above ground. So they may pressure test the pipe above ground and or pre-chlorinate above ground as well at the same time. So when that pipe sits in Florida uh, uh, at beside uh, Alan's house and it's a beautiful uh, clear sunny day and it's 95 degrees and that let's say the, the water was put in the pipe and it sat there for a couple of days, well that pipe's going to take on that temperature. And because carbon black is a UV uh, 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 disperser of the UV energy, um, the UV, what happens when you disperse that radiation, it creates heat. And so the surface of that pipe gets hot. And so it, the longer it's exposed to that radiation and that heat, the, the more in depth it goes into the wall. And then it starts to heat the water as well. So everything goes up in temperature. Well, polyethylene being um, a uh, a ductile material, we understand what that those thermal characteristics are of the of the pipe. So we'd have to derate accordingly if it operates at a higher temperature, we have to derate it. It it just means you're going to operate at a lower pressure or you increase your DR to meet the pressure that you want. So uh, to a limit of 335 PSI. So there's a real balance there and understanding the polymer and understanding those aspects of um, how polyethylene behaves can really work in your favor, believe it or not. But what we've seen is a couple of different scenarios. One, they had the strings out there, they were very hot, they tested at, seven, at 73 degree Fahrenheit uh, pressures, and it, and you know, they got to a point where they overpressurized and it blew the, blew the pipe in a ductile fashion. Or they pulled the pipe in and it was 130 degrees above ground and they pulled the pipe into a sewer line and then from manhole to manhole and then they cut it off right at the edge of the manhole prior to it being able to contract back. 
uh, because it went from 50, uh, 130 degrees down to 56 degrees, it contracted back. But we understand yeah. in the polyethylene world, we understand how to control the um, expansion and contraction uh, values of this product. And yes, it's the greatest in all pipeline systems, but we understand it. So we'll look at your situation, we'll evaluate it, and we'll tell you how to, how to do it. Yeah, that's a really good explanation. You know, um, we've talked about uh, that engineer who uh, blew up a polyethylene pipe at a pressure situation at four o'clock in the afternoon. And, uh, you know, so our advice on the road, Richard, I don't know, you tell me if I'm wrong or not, is, you know, do your pressure test first thing in the morning. Um, but this is a temporary condition. It's not a condition of operation. It's a condition of installation um, so that these pressure um deration issues are not an issue for operation they're an issue for installation and testing yeah is that correct yeah you're you're absolutely right and that's really important to understand because really when we're doing the pressure tests above ground and we're pre-chlorinating above ground we're saving time and we're testing the integrity of that string that we put together and that's what you're doing and it's a, it's an amazing system and it's an amazing way to make sure the quality assurance of that pipeline when you stick it in the ground is there. And we understand it and we want every municipal and civil engineer to understand it as well. Yeah, fascinating. So here, I, I've got one I've been dying to ask you forever. And I, you know, I call this, you know, the, uh, the civil engineer's misconception of the day. And I call it ID matching. Everybody says, oh, yeah, polyethylene, you got to make the ID match. Is that true? Well, yeah, that one is a heartbreaker. Um, you know, some of the things that are being sold, like, they're, you know, of course, polyethylene, uh, having a low, you know, really a low pressure pipeline up to 335 PSI is considered low pressure because we're used to oil field type stuff getting up to five, six, seven hundred PSI. Um, you know, we, we get into the municipal water and these guys um, are really sensitive about velocities because velocities in a rigid product uh, truly can catastrophically fail that product. Whereas polyethylene, they don't. So uh, when you operate, let's say a rigid product at five feet per second, which is a typical water distribution uh, type velocity, and you have a surge event, can take it up to 10, 12, uh, 8 to 12, let's say, feet per second in velocity, um, that could create problems for you, um, especially when it uh, you don't have the ability to resist those surge, uh, surge type events uh, long term. So, but polyethylene, has that ability and we can withstand up to 25 feet per second of velocity without any issue and I don't know any water system that operates in that regime so the ID to ID because we have existing systems in the ground such as ductile iron or PVC and we want to connect to or go under a highway we want they typically the civil engineers want to match that velocity and so the concerns come from the concerns come from not only the velocity in the pipe, but from the ability to maintain that pressure or their pumping ability. They don't want to put extra strain on their uh, their pumping system, or they don't want to reduce the friction loss with the uh, water tower that comes with that given pressure in that system. So what we're saying, that's not a concern to us. We really don't care about that system because the velocity increase in polyethylene will not affect the performance. 
However, if you're connecting from a rigid product into polyethylene to its final product, you're fine. But if you connect from a rigid product to polyethylene to another rigid product, then you have to kind of protect that, that other product on the other side with the velocity change. So you couple it you, you, or you decouple it. So you could just put a coupler in there to make it uh, reduce that velocity once it gets to that point and you don't have that issue. So you can, you can look at that, that aspect of controlling um, that uh, uh, energy effect or velocity effect in the surge events or whatever we have. And so it's really misunderstood because people can't get through their heads that if I squeeze down my garden hose in a certain section, I'm gonna have a higher velocity, but the volume is the same. The same volume's coming through there just at a higher velocity. And when it hits that coupler, it opens up, it'll slow back down. And oh, that issue that issue of hydraulics is very difficult for people to understand. Alan, tell us, tell us a little bit of it from the civil engineer standpoint. Most definitely. Uh, Richard hit on some real key points there, and, and it, it's very important to stray away from the apples and bananas type of a, a, a conversation. So the simple fact that HDPE can handle those higher velocities with no issue uh, really removes it from that conversation of trying to compare a minimum ID to another minimum ID and saying that they're exactly the same. Uh, so complicated hydraulic systems that are installed in every municipality uh, that is out there have multiple pipe types, multiple pipe diameters, and multiple processes to be able to deliver to the final stage. The way that those systems are typically controlled, if you can look at the water tower example, it's set to a certain pressure as it's going through this. They also have variable speed pumps that um, mirror that same type of pressure delivery through an entire system. It's designed to deliver at the tail end of the system where your spigot opens or your, your house faucet opens to deliver a certain set amount of pressure as it goes through there. The pipe distribution network in between the HDPE pipe, if it does have a smaller ID, all that's going to happen in that specific segment is that water is gonna move quicker. It's still gonna deliver the same amount of flow. And that's why I love Richard's example in particular for how he closes with the constriction of the, the, the garden hose. Everybody can understand that example because most people have at one point in time squeezed a garden hose and seen that, yes, we can, we can make the water shoot farther, which is a velocity type of an issue. So just blanket say, the ID of HDPE is, is smaller than a PVC or a ductile iron product and therefore is inferior is not a correct argument. You have to really look at the hydraulics of the entire distribution system, which is not an easy task. Hydraulic modelers have to spend a significant amount of time looking at each pipe, looking at each pipe segment, how fast it's going through there, and then also multiple operating parameters at the plant. So just saying the IDs don't match, it's inferior, is really not a viable argument. Got it. Good job, guys. Thank you, Richard and Alan. So, Richard, still on this engineering uh, topic, um, outside this ID matching issue, which I think you guys have covered really well, what, what do you think the most common misconception of a civil engineer is 
on his integration of the product into the system? Oh, um, well, for me, um, I think it's it's the lack of product knowledge of, of understanding what this product can do for you. Um, I first learned that lesson about um, eight years ago in the city of Calgary when we dealt with the city of Calgary engineers and um, we, we were, were trying, you know, they had critical applications, like they needed to have a, a water service line go under the C-Train, which is our transportation uh, system here by, by rail. And it can't, can't have any leaks. You know, there's too much concrete around this thing and, and you can't have any leaks. And so without us knowing about it, they put in polyethylene and they haven't had any issues to date that I'm aware of. And, but when they get into normal situations, they go right back to the old style type installations, whether it be concrete uh, or whether it be uh, ductile iron or, or even PVC. And I'm not calling PVC old, uh, but it is a newer and it is a, a, a good polymer, but it still has bell and spigot. I mean, we free, our ground freezes here down to eight feet and uh, they only bury the lines five feet down. So you know every year they're going to have movement. Calgary spends a lot of money on repairs. Uh, not only not only repair to the pipeline and the sewer system and the pressure systems, but uh, to the road systems. Because when they start leaking, you get wash away and you get erosion of that soil underneath where that pipeline is, and then the roads create dips in the roads. So that's one example. So I really think it's the knowledge of what they understand, what this product can and cannot do. I think some of them, the misconceptions is, oh, the product is soft. It's soft, so it's not going to be able to withstand those H20 or H60 or 80 type loads. Well, it can. Uh, it very well can. Um, you know, it has a minimum burial depth. It has, you know, uh, uh, the ability to to not, you know, to not flow or, or even, uh, you know, and I'm going, well, what do you mean not flow? I said, we don't have biological growth. Polyethylene doesn't support any biological growth into it. So why would it have any impact on flow? And a prime example of that particular situation is the exhuming of that 41-year-old uh, piece of pipe from uh, Europe that showed the exact same cell class performance. So I think it's mostly a uh, misunderstanding of, of, of what the product can and cannot do for them. So speaking of that, you know, we spend a lot of time or typically did pre-COVID talking to engineers every year, Richard, you know, if you had 60 seconds and you had a room full of 30 engineers that graduated in the last three years, what would you tell them about polyethylene? Oh, Oh man, I, I, I would have to go from the quote. I said, this is something that will solve all your problems. It will solve every aspect of your maintenance issues that you've experienced in the past. I said, trust me, we have time, we have experience, we have data, we have test methodologies, and we have the science and the engineering to back you up on this. It will solve your problems and make your life easier. It's the best way to put it. And you know what? I can't wait for uh, Alan to come back when he, you know, when he's 85 years old and he says, how's Castleberry doing? So oh, we're just great. I can't wait to hear those because I am going to ask him those questions because those are the guys that have taken the initiative and realized that the benefit and cost savings that they'll have not only for themselves, and I think you'll become a hero. I really do. I think you'll become a hero within it because if you can reduce cost and create longevity, you're a winner. So uh, 
you know, really well said. You know, the problem is a lot of those engineers, they haven't been around long enough to know what the problems are with the existing systems. And everybody just kind of accepts, you know, a 14% or a 35% leakage rate. Oh yeah, well, we got an old system. Yeah, we're working on it. Oh, really? Um, wow, okay. Missoula, Montana, 50% yeah. water loss rate. It doesn't need to be that way. Think about your maintenance, and I mean, pumps have maintenance cycles. You have preventative maintenance programs for them and those systems. And, and you know, what if they're just operating consistently for the whole lifetime of that product instead of continually having to jack up the amperage on them because you, you have restrictions in, you know, from tuberculation? You know, that's a prime example. And why? Why do ratepayers want to pay for water that goes through that stuff? I mean, you, it's not pretty, you know, and unfortunately, we learn the hard way. You know, in Flint, you know, it killed people. You know, it formed Legionnaire's disease in that in those products because they're, you know, all of the uh, uh, disinfectant was consumed. And, you know, sure, there were events that happened, but if I would have put polyethylene in that situation, I don't think you would have seen that same event occur. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, thank you for talking for a few minutes about the civil engineer side, because Richard, I, you know, I try to learn as much as I can about civils and how they think and, um, you know, you've you've had really good luck talking to them, and you know, you know, listening to Alan's perspective is is really fascinating for me, someone who's not an engineer. Um, but you know, Richard, you've been a critical member of the team. Uh, share with me some of your observations over the years on the alliance and the education program and the successes we've had. You know, what have you learned along the way? Oh wow, um, that well, it, at the beginning. Uh, we weren't really sure of ourselves. I mean, we knew what we had to do and we knew what we wanted to do, and that was educate. Um, but we really didn't have anything in place to really do it. We were uh, we put together good strategies. We put together good uh, programs to put together information and built the website. But what what I think one of the key things about the Alliance Education, although it may seem fairly um, standard and in, in the information that we're providing we, we truly have developed um, we got feedback from a lot of different civil engineers and a lot of municipality engineers and and uh, consultant engineers and and even operators operators that and installers that uh, we got feedback from them that you know that what their problems were and we've learned so we've utilized them to help us do a better job as well and I think that's where we continue to progress uh, we're never standing still because we're finding little loopholes and little things that uh, people don't understand about the product so we can provide better information and one of those uh, that we're working on right now as an example is Green Book and I work with Green Book probably uh, 15 to 20 years ago, and I don't think they understand, and it's their Bible in California to how to design a pipeline because it's linked to DOT. Uh, and that's a perfect example of, you know, when they start asking us to review this stuff, I mean, that's a huge breakthrough. I mean, it's been years and years and years to break into that Bible. And, you know, now they're starting to listen and, and starting to understand it better. And that's a prime example of being progressive and being on the verge of continuous improvement. Uh, and that's where I think the Alliance has excelled. You know, COVID gave us this opportunity to do podcasts and webinars and look at how many people we've, we've touched. We didn't stop. We didn't stop because we know the need is still there. And that need, I think, is, and I get excited about it because, you know what, 
I'm not going to be around forever and I hope somebody else learns it so they can pass it on as well because it is a benefit to everybody. You know, thank you for speaking well of what we're doing. You know, we, you know, we've got a large group of people behind us in any one year, Richard, we see 90 people from the industry helping us pull off these events. So what are we doing right? So you like the events, you know, trade shows, what are we yeah. doing right? Well, uh, exactly that. And, and I should have mentioned that because the diversity of our, of our membership is crucially important. Uh, we have the guys that make all the fittings. We have the guys that make all the pipe. We have the guys that make all the resin that's, that, that produces the pipe. Um, we have the guys that have the mechanical connections. We have the guys that develop the equipment to fuse the equipment or the, the pipe together and the systems together. So, you know, we have such a broad base of people that are being innovative in their own companies to help this process, uh, but they're there to help us. And we have that diversity. So we can train anybody at any time or help educate them at any time on any subject that we, we come across. And that diversity, I think, is the key um, because we're all in it together. Sure, in some cases, we might be competitors. Uh, we might be direct competitors, like Performance Pipe is my competitors, Pipeline Plastics, Charter Plastics, but they're all members of the Alliance and we work together. We take that hat off to make sure we're giving the people that need the information the best information possible. So um, speaking of the education, you know, this education program that you speak about is intended for civil engineers, municipal um, owners, as well as the contractors. So we hit them in a program that's well-developed, but we also have something called PE Showcase. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a fun one for us because really all the members come together uh, and also the distributors, which are non-members that sponsor the events that we go to because they're the front line for the municipalities. And then we invite the municipality. And here you have an opportunity to come and work with us face to face and see our, see our goods and see what progressions we have and see what the industry is doing. So it's a, it's a, it's a great opportunity for any municipal leader or any municipal uh, or contractor, any uh, engineer, uh, anybody that wants to learn about polyethylene because we're there learning not only uh, providing information to them, they're actually providing information back to us so we can make it better and better every year. Great opportunity we've had to. I'm very sad that this year didn't ha is not going to happen uh, because I feel that that's where um, uh, all the great minds of the polyethylene industry exist. Well, you know, who knows whether or not we'll make it again this year. But, you know, our, our vision, Richard, uh, for Showcase has always been you know, the Alliance can teach people all at once, but, you know, let's teach, let's elevate the industry's understanding of the product to a higher level. You know, think about it, access to guys like you and um, Connor Bush uh, and Stephen Boros and Dusty Langston and, and others in the industry who are experts and Alan. Alan's the most prolific uh, pipe-bursting guy in the United States um, uh, from a civil engineering standpoint. and you know, they have access to these people for this three days. I mean, how exciting is that? Yeah, and I, and I think the key thing that I hope we get to is when they get there, they're going to find out how easy it is. 
Um, uh, I mean, I think it's easy. I think it's a simpler system. I think it's an easier system to work with. I mean, I'm very blessed. You know, I sit on the hydrostatic stress board of PPI for almost uh, 20, 23 years now. And I, you know, and I was fortunate enough to work with the people, the, the engineers and the scientists that developed the regulations and the test methodologies and everything associated with it. And these people were brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And, you know, they got older too. And, you know, when they passed, you know, we, we, lose, we lose a little piece of that. And if somebody doesn't carry it on like the Alliance or like the people in our industry, then it, you know, it, it kind of gets diluted a little bit. But I think what's happening is just the opposite. I think they're embracing it. They're embracing the information and they're running with it and we're growing and we're establishing ourselves very, very well because we're letting the science and engineering doing the talking for us. We're just not blabbering because we want to brag about a market opportunity. We want to tell you that we have the best product and here's why. Well, Richard, great explanation. Thank you. You know, I, I recently listened to Yvonne Chouinard, uh, the CEO, owner of Patagonia, whatever he is. Um, talking about his passion for the environment and how he changed his company's mission statement from you know making great products for people who use the outdoors to hey guys we're going to save the planet it's time to wake up and save the planet and listening to you richard listening to you talk you have a very similar passion um, and it's related to polyethylene and what polyethylene can do for society tell us about your passion yeah, thank you, Peter. I, I, and I do have a passion, and, I, and sometimes I get excited about it. You know, with everything going on, you know, the the situations that we had with COVID and everything uh, going on in today's society. You know, <laughs> I guess the thing that we can expect is change. You know, there's always change. But one thing that polyethylene will do for us is give us longevity. It will give us longevity and stability because we won't leak and we won't tuberculate and we won't corrode. And this is something that society has to understand, um, that this is the best widget. And we, we really can make a serious impact on the end result of society and possibly even economics because we're not spending money on maintenance, you know, in 10, 20, 30 or 40 years. You know, it doesn't exist. Like we mentioned earlier that we don't fail by fatigue. We don't leak. We don't tuberculate, as I mentioned earlier. But it's, it's amazing. It's amazing that, you know, if we can do something today with the technology that we understand and we can teach that technology to a lot of different people and not only the design and areas and, and the uh, operations area, uh, then we can make the world a better place because we're not spending money and we're not spending time fixing things all the time. We're just using them and we're utilizing them and making the world cleaner because we know we don't have to, you know, emit carbon, you know, for example, on getting equipment out to the job site that a pipe has burst, you know, uh, that's a small example I know, but it, it, it's a contributor to that. And there's cost associated with that. And let's, let's face it. I mean, the world, uh, works on uh, on a dollar and cents aspect and and you know if we can help prevent future generations spending money on our water and sewer systems because they're better systems i think we've done the right things yeah well well said you know your passion comes out richard every time you speak to our audiences and i'm i'm grateful for that i'm grateful for wl for sharing you as much as they do uh, with the pe alliance uh, you know, we see up to 5,000 people a year face-to-face, -face, and uh, you're there for most of them. So 
Um, great job. It's really fun listening to you tonight and uh, learning about you and your life and Calgary and your family. So uh, congratulations. And, you know, that passion that you have is um, infectious. Um, it, you know, it translates to other people. You know, I feel it when I work with you and I, I speak to audiences and uh, I thank you for that. So great job. Thank you very much, Peter. And, and again, I love doing it. And please don't call me infectious because <laughs> I don't know. Nobody will want to come to my shows anymore. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> just, some, uh, just some light stuff there. But you know what? I, 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 hope, I hope I'm making a difference. I hope that I can make lives better, um, you know, because uh, uh, the work you're doing, the work you're doing, uh, it, it makes me excited to actually come out and do it. And, and I miss the people. I miss seeing the faces. I miss shaking the hands of everybody because there's a lot of smart, intelligent people out there that I think that our product will change their lives. And, uh, and if it does, great. Uh, all the power to them. Look at Palo Alto, man. They're they're living worry-free, and it's it's a really nice, refreshing thing to hear about. Well, we've got it. We've got to do a better job of getting the other Palo Altos out there too, because you know there's scores of them of these utilities that are interested in sharing their stories, and uh, that's part of what we need to do a better job of. So I look forward to doing that in the coming year. All right. Well, thank you, Richard. You know, you guys, this is the first Poly podcast. I want to thank uh, Alan Ambler and our, our guest, uh, Richard Colossa from WL Plastics for such a great interview. And Richard's been great working with you over the years. And I look forward to 2021, certainly. So you can tune in to this Poly podcast every two weeks on the first and third Wednesdays of every month. Go to pepipe.org, click on the podcast and you will get the link to get to our next show. So tell your friends, show up, follow us on uh, social media, and we will see you next time. Well, Alan, what a great interview that was with Richard. And, you know, his passion and enthusiasm come out comes out, you know, just about everything he says. And uh, we're lucky to have a guy like him uh, serving our industry, don't you think? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, one of the big takeaways for me um, from Richard's interview was the learn something new every day that he's done. Uh, and, and to think about that and how, once you start to do it and continue to do it, how easy it would be to continue, it also speaks volumes for the overall industry because one of the things that I've observed in general is how much it's changed and evolved uh, just since I started to get involved in it. And it's from people like Richard with that passion that is infectious, as you say. Uh, uh, we'll have to come up with another word for Richard, but uh, it's definitely contagious. But that's another bad word, too, right now. So, <laughs> so uh, one of the things he was referring to was uh, Palo Alto. And uh, one of the things I think uh, got... Uh, that's still on the cutting room floor was uh, the part where we talked about Palo Alto and the interview with um, one of their engineers who said polyethylene has made my job worry free. Um, so that's why he, he what he what he was referring to. But imagine that uh, having running a utility and not really being worried about midnight pipeline breaks. That would be something to behold. Absolutely. When I ran the utility there, it's, uh, I spent several several nights out 
uh, trying to, to work through different breaks and, and uh, hurricanes and all sorts of other things that, that uh, happen to keep you up and, and always worried. So they definitely could call me at any hour of the night while I'm running that. That's So the thing for me, which I got out of the interview, was uh, Richard's phrase about longevity and stability. Um, you know, so, you know, part of the Palo Alto thing is, you know, made my job worry free. But in that is longevity in this pipeline system and stability. So you end up spending less money on repairs. And that's really pretty exciting, th pretty exciting thing that this product offered, that this product offers. Uh, we do have a lot of interviews on tap, Alan. Uh, we've got Jim Johnston with McElroy, uh, Stephen Boros with Pipeline Plastics, Connor Bush, Performance Pipe. We also have interviewed Harvey Svetlick, who's a kind of the, the dean of polyethylene pipe engineers in the United States, and that'll probably be released in August. But, Alan, our next interview uh, coming up to us on July 22nd is with Doug Keller from Lyondell Bessel. You know, Richard Allen talked a lot about that great resin, that 4710 resin. Well, this guy, Doug Keller, he's one of the nation's foremost experts on that very resin. So we're very excited to bring that to our audience. And right before we close, I want to say thank you to all of you for uh, listening to the entire podcast all the way through to the end. And uh, please send us uh, your thoughts and comments uh, to help make these podcasts even better. So with that, we'll see you in a couple weeks. And thanks for listening.